Chapter Twelve of Star Hunter. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Leone Rose. Star Hunter by Andre Norton. Chapter Twelve. There is only one way they could be moving, toward the mountains. Hume stood in the open space among the bubble tents, facing him the four men of the camp, the three sieves and Rovald. You say it's been seven days, planet time, since I left here. They may have been five days on that trail. If possible, we have to stop them before they reach that valley. A fantastic story. Chambers wore the affronted expression of a man who expected no interference with his own concerns. Then, catching Hume's eye, he added, "'Not that we doubt you, Hunter. We have the evidence in those dumb brutes waiting out there. However, by your own story, this wasp is an outside-the-law veep on this planet secretly for criminal purposes. Surely there is no reason for us to risk our safety in his behalf. Are you certain he is in any danger at all? You and this young man here have, by your testimony, been into the enemy's territory, and have been able to get out again. Through a series of fortunate chances which might never occur again, Hume was patient, too patient, Rovalt seemed to think. His hand moved, he was holding a ray-tube so that a simple movement of the wrist could send a crisping blast across all the rest of the party. I say, stop this yapping, and get out there and pick up the veep. I intend to, after I call the patrol. Rovol's tube was now aimed directly at Hume. No patrol, he ordered. This wrangling has gone far enough. It was Yaktisi who spoke with an authority which startled them all. And as their attention swung to him, he was already in action. Rovold cried out. The weapon spun from his fingers, fingers which were slowly reddening. Yaktisi nodded with satisfaction, and he held his electo-pole ready for a second attack. Phi scooped up the tube which had whirled across the ground to strike against his borrowed boot. "'I'll set the call for the patrol, then I'll try to locate Was,' Hume stated. "'Sensible procedure,' Yaktisi approved in his dry voice. "'You believe that you are now immune to whatever force this alien installation controlled?' It would seem so. Then, of course, you must go. Why? Chambers countered for the second time. Suppose he isn't so immune after all. Suppose he gets out there and is captured again. He's our pilot. Do you want to be planet-bound here? This man is also a pilot, Starnes indicated Rovald, who was nursing his numb hand. Since he, too, is one of these criminals, he's not to be trusted. Chambers shot back. Hunter, I demand that you take us off-planet at once, and it is only fair to inform you that I also intend to prefer charges against you and against the Guild. Empty world! Just how empty have we found this world? But, gentle homo, Starnes showed no signs of any emotion but eager curiosity. To be here at this time is a privilege we could not hope to equal except by good fortune. The tea-casts will be avid for our stories. 
What had that to do with the matter? Puzzled Vi. But he saw Starn's reminder produce a quick change in Chambris. The tea casts, he repeated, his expression of anger smoothing away. Yes, of course, this is, in a manner of speaking, a truly historic occasion. We are in a unique position. Had Yachtisi smiled? That change of lip-line had been so slight, Vi could not call it a smile. But Starnes appeared to have found the right way to handle Chambris. And it was the same little man who offered his services in another way when he said, diffidently to Hume, I have some experience with comms, Hunter. Do you wish me to send your message and take over the unit until you return? I gather, he added with a certain delicacy, that it will not be expedient for your gear-man to engage in that duty now. So it was that Starnes was installed in the comm cabin of the spacer, sending out the request for patrol aid, while Rovald was locked in the storage compartment of the same ship, pending arrival of those same authorities. As Hume sorted out supplies, and Vi loaded them into the waiting flitter, Yaktisi approached the hunter. "'You have a definite plan of search?' "'Just to cast north from their camp. If they've been gone long enough to hit the foothills, we may be able to sight them climbing. Otherwise, we'll go all the way up to the valley. Wait for them there. You don't believe that they will be released after they have been processed?' Hume shook his head. I don't think we would have been free, gentle homo, if it hadn't been for a series of fortunate accidents. Yes, though you don't give us many details about that, Hunter. Hume put down the needler he had been charging. He studied Yaktisi across that weapon. Who are you? His voice was soft but carried a snap. For the first time Vi saw the tall, lean sieve really smile. A man of many interests, Hunter. Shall we let it go at that for the present? Though I assure you that Was is not one of them in the way you might believe. Gray eyes met brown, held so straightly. Then Hume spoke. I believe you, but I have told the truth. I have never doubted that, only the amount of it. There must be more talking later on. You understand that? I never thought otherwise. Hume set the needler inside the flitter. The sieve smiled again, this time including Vi in that evidence of goodwill before he walked away. Hume made no comment. That does it, he told his companion. Still want to go? If you do, and you can't do it alone, no man could take on the valley and Was and his men. Hume made no comment. They had rested briefly after their return to the safari camp, and Vi had been supplied with clothing from Hume's bags, so that now he wore the uniform of the guild. He went armed, too, with the equipment belt taken from Rovald, and that other's weapons, needler and tube. At least they started on their dubious rescue mission with every aid the safari camp could muster. It was mid-afternoon when the flitter took to the air once again, scattering the hovering globes. There was no alteration in the ranks of the blue watchers waiting. For the barrier to go down? Or someone in the camp to step beyond that protection? They're stupid, Vi said. Not stupid, just geared to one set of actions, Hume returned. Which could mean that what sends them here can't change its orders. Good guess. 
I'd say that they were governed by something akin to our tapes. No provision made for any innovations. So the guiding intelligence could be long gone. I think it has been. Hume then changed the subject sharply. How did you get into service at the Starfall? It was hard now to think back to Nawatl, as if the Vylansor who had been swamper in that den of the port town was a different person altogether. In that patch of memories into which Rinch Brody still intruded, he hunted for the proper answer. I couldn't hold the state jobs, and once you get the habit of eating, you don't starve willingly. Why not the state jobs? Without premium, they're all low-rung, tenderest places. I tried hard enough, but to sit pressing buttons when a light flashed, hour after hour. Vi shook his head. They said I was too erratic and gave me the shove. One more move on, and it would have been compulsive conditioning. I turned port drift instead. Ever thought of trying for a loan premium? Vi laughed shortly. Loan premium? That's a true fantasy if you've been job hopping. None of the companies will take a chance on a man with an in-and-out record. Oh, I tried. That memory arose to the surface, clear and very chilling. Yes, he had tried to break out of the net the law and custom had put around him from the day he had been made a state child. No, it was conditioning or port drift. And you chose port drift? I was still me, as long as I stayed away from conditioning. Then you became Rinch Brody in spite of your flight. No, well, maybe, for a while. But I'm still Vi Lansor, here. Yes, here. And I don't think you'll have to worry about raising a premium to get a new start. You can claim victim compensation, you know. Vi was silent, but Hume did not let him remain so. When the patrol arrives, you put in your claim. I'll back you. You can't. That's where you're mistaken, Hume told him crisply. I've already taped a full story back at the spacer. It's on record now. Vi frowned. The hunter seemed determined to ask for the worst the patrol, or the planet police back on Nawatl, could deal out. A case of illegal conditioning was about as serious as you could get. They shot along the diagonal of the triangle made by three points, the Mountain Valley, Was Camp, and the Safari Headquarters, heading to the slopes up which the men must be herded if the beasts were shepherding them to the Mountain Valley. Vi, surveying the forest thick below, began to doubt they would ever be able to pick them up before they reached the valley gate. Hume took a weaving course, zigzagging back and forth, while they both watched intently for a glint from one of the globes, any movement which would betray that trail. And it was on one of the upper slopes that the flitter passed over two of the blue beasts lumbering along. Neither of the creatures paid any attention to the flyer. They moved with purpose on some mission of their own. Maybe the tail end of the hunting pack, Hume commented. He sent the flyer hovering over a stunted line of trees and brush. Beyond that was bare rock. But though they hung for moments, nothing moved into that open. Wrong scent somehow. Hume brought the flitter around. He had it on manual control now, keeping it answering to the quick changes of his will. A longer sweep supplied the answer. A vegetation-roofed slit 
running back into the uplands, in a way resembling the crevice through which they had originally found their way into this country. Hume brought the flyer along that. But if the men they sought were pushing their way through below, they could not be sighted from the air. At last, with evening drawing in, Hume was forced to admit failure. "'Wait by the gap?' Vi asked. "'Have to now.' Hume glanced about. "'I'd say maybe tomorrow, mid-morning before they make it that far, if they are here. We'll have plenty of time.' "'Time for what? To make ready for a pitched battle with Was? Or with the beasts herding him? To try in the space of hours to solve the mystery of the lake?' "'Do you think we could blast that thing in the lake?' Vi asked. "'We might be able to, just might. "'But that must be the last resort. "'We want that in working order for the X.T. men to study. "'No, we'd better plan to hold Was at the gate, "'wait for the patrol to come in.' "'Less than an hour later, after a soaring approach, Hume brought the flitter down with neat skill on the top of one of the cliffs which helped to form the portal of the gap. There was no difference in the scene below, save that where the two bodies of the blue beasts had lain, there were now only clean and shining bones. Darkness spread out from the lake woods like a growing stain of evil promise as the sun fell behind the peaks. Night came earlier here than in the plains. Watch! Vi had been gazing down the gap. He was the first to note that movement in the cloaking bush. Out of the cover trotted a four-footed, antlered animal he had not seen before. Sykin deer, Hume identified. But why in the mountains? It's a long way from its home range. The deer did not pause, but headed directly for the gap, and, as it neared, Vi saw that its brown coat was roughed with patches of white froth, while more dripped from the pale pink tongue protruding from its open jaws, and its shrunken sides heaved. Driven! Hume picked up a stone, hurled it to strike the ground ahead of the deer. The creature did not start, nor show any sign of seeing the rock fall. It trotted on at the same wearied pace, passed the portal rocks into the valley. Then it stood still, wedge-shaped head up, Black horns displayed, while the nose flaps expanded, tested the air, until it bounded toward the lake, disappearing in the woods. Though they shared watches during the night, there were no other signs of life, nor did the deer reappear from the woods. With the mid-morning there was a sudden sound to warn them, a wild cry which must have come from a human throat. Hume tossed one of the needlers to Vi, took the other, and they scrambled down to the floor of the gap passage. Was did not lead his men. He came behind the reeling trio as if he had joined the blasts as driver, and while his men wavered, staggered, gave the appearance of nearly complete exhaustion, he still walked with a steady tread, in command of his wits, his fears, and the company. As the first of the men blundered on, a fresh trickle of red running down his bruised face, Hume called, Was! The veep stopped short. He made no move to unsling the needler he carried, its barrel pointing skyward over his shoulder. But his round head, with its upstanding comb of hair, swung slightly from side to side. 
Stop! Was! This is a trap! His three men kept on. Vi moved, for Peek, leading that wavering group, stumbled, would have fallen had not the younger man advanced from the shadows to steady him. Vi! Hume made his name a warning. He had only time to glance around. Was, his broad face impassive except for the eyes, those burning, madman's eyes, was aiming a ray tube. Broken free of his hold, Peek fell to the right, came up against Hume. As Vi went down, he saw Was dart forward at a speed he wouldn't have believed a driven man could summon. The veep lunged. Escaping the shot, the hunter had no time to aim. Rolled, and came up with a needler Vi had dropped. Then Hume, hampered by Peek's feeble clawing, met head-on the swinging barrel of that weapon. He gave a startled grunt, and smashed back against the cliff, a wave of scarlet blood streaming down the side of his head. The momentum of Was charge carried him on. He collided with his men, and the last thing Vi saw was the huddle of all four of them, flailing arms and legs, spinning on through the gate into the valley, with Was hoarse, wordless shouting, bringing echoes from the cliffs. End of chapter 12